You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. He's writing to God's despairing of people. The church at this time was going through a very difficult time. They were persecuted. They were scattered. They were weary. They were trouble a lady. Does that sound familiar to any of us? Maybe not to the same degree, but even in our life's experience, things aren't working out for some of us the way that we had hoped they would. You know, some of us have gotten sick. Others of us have lost our jobs. Uh, then others have lost loved ones. Take a look at your life. Would you say you're in the best place? All is well. Everyone's healthy. Your future is shaping up just how you planned. Chances are everything's not perfect. You're either experiencing some chaos or you have in the past. When disorder disrupts your life, it's easy to lose hope. That's how the early church was feeling when Peter wrote this letter. But there's hope. And Pastor Mike wants to tell you all about it today. You don't have to remain in despair. Turn to Jesus today. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 as he begins his message, The Anchor of Our Soul. Let's go ahead and grab our Bibles and let's pick up where we left off last time. We're in that new series of studies here in the book of 1 Peter. And this text is found in verse 3 of chapter 1. And this message, the title is, The Anchor of Our Soul. So let's read that verse of Scripture. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. So there Peter declares, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So once again, title is The Anchor of Our Soul. Okay, let me set up this for you. Remember, in the previous verses leading up to verse 3, Peter has briefly outlined for us God's wonderful plan of redemption through his son Jesus Christ. He has taken us, in verse 2, from the subject of election which took place before the foundations of the world. Uh, remember we talked about this last time, how that God has called us, how that God has chosen us, all of which was on the basis of the foreknowledge of God. That is God looking down the road and into our future, knowing that on such and such a time, such and such a date, we would make that choice and decision to invite Christ to become the Lord and Savior of our lives. And on that foreknowledge, on that knowledge that God has, 
concerning you and me. He made that choice. He made that decision. He elected us to eternal life. And so we talked about that last time. If you weren't a part of that service, the message is up there on our website. It is archived. I'd encourage you to listen in. And so he has taken us in verse 2 from the subject of election, that is before the foundations of the world, to the believer's present experience of God's marvelous grace, power, and sustaining peace. And by the way, all of which has been made possible through the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. And we also talked about that subject last time as well. But then here in our text, notice Peter declares, Blessed, this is the way that he begins, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or more simply, thank you, God, for all that you have done. Now with that said, that sets the stage for this Bible study, but it also brings us to our first point. If you're taking notes, write this down. Reflecting on what God has done. So Peter here, obviously, is in awe. He's overwhelmed. He's thinking about what God has done in his own personal experience. He's overwhelmed because of God's provision of salvation for Peter, uh, the forgiveness of his uh, sins. And thus he cries out, praise God. That spontaneous, pure praise, he just lets loose. Now, I believe that every one of you who know Christ as your Lord and Savior can relate to this experience of uh, Peter's. You know, you're walking down the street, for example, and you're just thinking about God's goodness towards you and how that God has orchestrated all of the details in your life. Or you begin to see things unfolding before your very eyes. And you can only explain that by putting God behind that. And so you're overwhelmed. You're in awe because of what God is doing. And in spite of people around you walking down the street in Manhattan, you just cry out, praise you, God. You're so thankful. Well, that's exactly what's going on here with Peter. And so, gang, in the quietness, I want to encourage you to do this, in the quietness of meditation, I think it would serve us all well, equally as well, to consider regularly what God has done for us. You know, and throughout the scriptures, we're exhorted to do exactly that. For example, the psalmist in the 107th Psalm in verse 8 declares, And for his wonderful works, he says, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of uh, men. And how important I think that this occupation is, that we take some time out regularly, daily, and just think about the blessings that we receive of the Lord. You know, Paul tells us along these same lines in his writing to the church at Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5 and verse 18, he tells us there, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, at this point, you may be thinking, what, you know, why? Uh, what for? What, is God on some kind of an ego uh, trip? No, no. You see, God knows that our being thankful, taking that inventory of all of what God has done, all of the blessings that we've received, will keep us from the devil's temptations. Because think about one of the ways that the devil attempts us to sin. He whispers in our ear. You know, Mike, you're missing out on this. You're missing out on that. 
your life is lacking in that kind of a, an area. You'll only find it over here. So that's the way that the devil attempts us. But if we're mindful of all of what we've already received of the Lord, all of the, what God is continuing to do, all of the blessings that we've already received, it'll keep us both from temptation and sin. But I also want you to think about this. Christians can look at life with such assurance that in everything, in fact, we can give thanks. We can be optimistic in every situation we find ourselves in, no matter what. You know, there's this story that I want to share with you of this country a preacher who is known for his gracious and thankful spirit. And it was infectious. The members of his church would gather together each Sunday morning. They were eager. They were curious to hear the subject of thanks for the week as this pastor uh, prayed because it was, again, uplifting and encouraging. Now, during one week, the town in which they all resided was hit with a terrible snowstorm that just left the area decimated. And so, the members of his congregation were particularly interested in what the pastor would say that Sunday as he prayed, because, after all, uh, concerning this storm that hit this uh, city. There really wasn't much to be thankful uh, for because all of its damage. Well, he began his morning prayer, opening the service, and said, Heavenly Father, we thank you that not every day is as bad as this one. Folks, that's what being optimistic looks like. That's what being optimistic is all about. Folks, in Jesus, let us learn to give thanks for all that he has done, for all of what he continues to do. And if we do, life will flow a lot easier and our way will be a lot smoother. Now also, let's go back to our text. Peter, having expressed thanks for all of his great provision that he's personally uh, experienced, all of what he's made available to uh, the church, uh, redemption, uh, all of the offers uh, that we've already gone over, I want you to notice and this becomes our second point, praise for God's abundant mercy. Go back to verse 3. Do you see it there? He praises God for his abundant mercy. Now I want you to think about this. Where would any of us be today if it wasn't for the mercy of God? I mean, for many of us, our lives were absolutely out of control. That is, before God got a hold of us, before our conversion uh, experience. But listen, no matter how far one may have drifted from God's grace and love, his abundant mercy is sufficient to reconcile the sinner unto himself. Now, Satan, on the other hand, would restrain us, suggesting that we give up, uh, that we don't have any right to become a child of God, a son or a daughter. Because of our sin, we failed. There's no hope for us. He would suggest that we've disqualified ourselves because of the things that we've allowed ourselves uh, to do. But listen, don't be discouraged. Why? Because of the mercy of God. You see, the fountain of God's mercy is forever flowing to provide cleansing and forgiveness for all of us who have come to Christ. Now also notice, as the result of God's abundant mercy, go back to verse 3, we are told that the Lord has begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the 
dead. Now that brings us to our third point, begotten us again, or more literally, has created us anew. You see, when the Lord saved us, he didn't merely just patch us up, add a few things, change a few things, gave us some facelift, if you will, but we were made new creatures in him. You know, Paul reminds us of this very thing in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5 and verse 17, where he says, if any man or woman be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. You see, he imparted new life to the soul through the miracle of the new birth, and there can be no substitute for this. Remember Jesus uh, visiting with one of the Pharisees, it's recorded first in John's Gospel in chapter 3, whose name was Nicodemus. It's recorded first in John's Gospel in chapter 3, in verse 3. Uh, speaking of the new birth, being born again of the Spirit of God, that enables one to enter into the kingdom of God, uh, there Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter or see the kingdom of God. And so notice also that the new birth is directly dependent upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice what Peter says here. He says it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So you see the same miraculous power that enabled Jesus to triumph over death and the grave is the very same power which breaks the shackles of the bondage of sin's penalty and power over us that forever delivers the believing soul from eternal death. You see that? That's a part of that process. You see, only the power that raised Jesus from the dead can transform the sinful hearts of men and women. And guess what? It does exactly that. So those of us who believe in the resurrected Christ should evidence it by resurrected living. Through this power, the believer can overcome temptation and sin. Victory is ours because of the limitless power that brings forth life from death. You know, Paul explains it uh, this way for us in the book of Romans in chapter 6 and verses 1 through 4. Let me read it for you. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. And he uses one of the most forcible phrases in the English language, literally, God forbid. So he says, certainly not. And then he goes on to reason with us. And he says, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That's the key. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. So you see, the new birth identifies the believer with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. Christ living in us should result in a hatred of sin and an earnest desire to walk in the newness of the resurrection life. You know, let me give you another cross-reference for this. It's found in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 4, 
in verses 22 through 24. Let me read that for you. Uh, they were exhorted by Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus. He says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the way that we live before our conversion experience, put off the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. That's the progression. It only gets worse. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the mind of Christ, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in the true righteousness and holiness, by the way, which is all affected by the ministry and the operation of the Holy Spirit. So gang, when we are born again of the Spirit of God, we are enabled through that resurrection power that I am referring to here to put on that new man. You know, as the Spirit begins to work within our lives, the Comforter that Jesus sends, who will abide with us forever. Well, anyway, that's who Christians are, nothing less. The normal results of this impartation will be seen in a life of usefulness and holy obedience. You know, Jesus put it this way. And again, this is just the natural result of walking with the Lord, our conversion experience, being born again of the Spirit of God. Jesus said, and this is where the rubber meets the road. This separates the true from the false. In Matthew's Gospel in chapter 7, Jesus said that we would be known, that is the tree, using that analogy, by their fruit. And such is the case with the believer, that we would be known also by the fruit that we bear in and through our lives. You know, there's this other story that I want to share with you of a rather pompous, arrogant Sunday school teacher who was attempting to explain the importance of Christian living to his class. So anyway, with his head high and chest out, he's all puffed up, strutting back and forth impressively, he asked, Now, boys and girls, why do people call me a Christian? Well, there was a momentary silence and a pause. Then one little boy raised his hand, and the fellow who was addressing uh, this young uh, crowd said, Yes, asked the teacher. And the little boy responded and said, Probably because they do not know you. And so listen, if we have experienced resurrection power in salvation, then this same power should be evidenced in transformed living. There needs to be a clean break with all amusements, habits, lusts that hinder and oppose this resurrected living that I'm speaking of. But then finally, let's go back to our text. I would like for us to consider the words, hath begotten us again unto an ever-living hope. So that's our fourth point, an ever-living hope, which is a more accurate translation. Now remember, he's writing to God's despairing of people. The church at this time was going through a very difficult time. They were persecuted. They were scattered. They were weary. They were trouble-laden. Does that sound familiar to any of us? Maybe not to the same degree, but even in our life's experience, things aren't working out for some of us the way that we had hoped they would. You know, some of us have gotten sick. Others of us have lost our jobs. Uh, then others have lost loved ones. And so uh, things are difficult. It almost seems as if things are out of 
uh, control. So these individuals that Peter is writing to here are seeking to be encouraged. They're barely hanging on. And so what does he say here? That we've been begotten again unto an ever-living hope. Now that word hope, as used here in this text, does not mean some desire or expectation, you know, that maybe it's going to happen. It's not like, for example, if I can use this illustration, a student uh, who had just taken his exam and hopes to pass it. No, it means having confidence. That's a sure thing. It is a, that hope that banishes all doubt, uncertainty, and fear. It's the anchor of our soul. Gained strengthened by such confidence, we need not fear. No matter what we are presently experience. Why? Because you see, Jesus is that hope. That living hope. And so strengthened by such eternal confidence in Christ, no believer should experience the slightest worry. You know, let me close out a couple of cross-references for you. In the 118th Psalm, in verse 6, there the psalmist declares, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do unto me? And then, of course, one of the more familiar, one of the most familiar psalms of all of the psalms that's been written, the 23rd Psalm, known as the Shepherd Psalm, in verse 4. There we are told, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Why? Because the Lord is with me. And he will continue to be with me as my guide, as my counselor, as my protector, as my provider, as my strength, as my light, as my hope. Let me ask you this question as we close out. Do you have that hope? I hope that you do. You know, remember... And it's a terrible thing to live in this present world, not having this hope. Remember in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 2, in verse 12, Paul there reminds us that the worst place to be, the worst place to live, is in this present world without this living hope. And again, I would remind you that this living hope is uh, Jesus. It's the worst place to uh, live. And so listen, uh, I want to close out in a prayer and uh particularly for those who do not have this hope, who may not have made that choice and decision for Christ as their Lord and Savior, who may not have invited Him to uh, come in and be their Lord and Savior. So please join me together in prayer, particularly for those individuals. Let's pray. Father, I pray for any that don't have this anchor for their soul, that is Jesus, who haven't experienced His abundant mercy, cleansing them, from their sin, making them anew. That confidence that comes from walking with Him, that banishes all doubt, uncertainty, and fear. Father, help them to turn to Him, to realize that He is just one request away. The book of Romans in chapter 10 and verse 13, Paul tells us, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be. Oh, my heart. As we study the book of First Peter together, we pray it has both encouraged and challenged you to grow in your faith. 
The Apostle Peter understands that standing firm in your faith isn't all so easy, but the reward is great. Learn from him today and practice self-discipline and trust the Lord to help you through. You've been listening to In My Father's House, and we're so glad you tuned in to hear today's teaching with Pastor Mike. To listen to today's message again or to hear more from Pastor Mike, just search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram to keep up to date on our day-to-day happenings. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions to our easy access point at harvestnyc.org. We're also streaming each Sunday and Thursday evening service, so everyone has the chance to attend, even if you can't make it in person. If this broadcast has been an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? We'd love your prayerful support. And if you feel led, we're also thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that was harvestnyc.org. Thanks for your support. And thanks for listening in today. Join us again next time for more with Pastor Mike right here on In My Father's House. Where I long to be, oh my heart, not be troubled.